Oh, thanks, everybody. So we are, we are on the journey. And uh, this morning, we're going to be obviously continuing our theme, looking at Mary and Joseph and their journey to Bethlehem and what encouragements that can give to us in our own journeys of faith. But when Pastor Andy first asked if I would speak on this journey, something felt familiar about it. And I thought, why do I feel like I've been involved in something to do with Mary and Joseph's journey before? And then I remembered that three years ago, three members of my family went ahead of me on this subject. So we're just going to watch a little video before we start. Thanks, Yemi. Merry Christmas to you. Well, here we are, we've come to the end of the year and the last kids home video, which is a sad time, but an exciting time. Uh, and as we think about the end of the year, the new year, um, this week I wanted to just think about the journey that Mary and Joseph went on and the journey that we all go on. Uh, but before we go any further, I thought um, I'd ask Miriam and Gideon what what they think of and whether they knew what a journey was. So, should we see what they said? Hello, Miriam. Thanks very much for helping me with this. Um, we're learning this week about when Jesus was born, so I just want to ask you a few questions, if I can. So, Miriam, do you know what... Look at me, sweetheart. Do you know what a journey is? Yeah. What's a journey? It's Oh, thank you. And um, what do you need to take on a journey? Well, we can take cups, plates if you need to go to a picnic. And if you want to go to a drive, you don't get anything. You just drive everywhere and anywhere. And when you get there, you get out, you pull um, the doors and then you close them. Thank you. And then finally, how do you know where you're going? How can you tell where you're going? Well, you have to have a screen like this, so it's very bright in the silver, so you can see where you're going. But if you close your eyes, you'll crash into something. Ian, thank you very much, thank you. So, hello Gideon, thank you very much for helping me with this. Uh, Gideon, we're learning about all the people who came to see Jesus when he was born, and, and Jesus, how he got there. So, um, I'm just going to ask you some questions, if that's okay. Yep. So, Gideon, yes. do you know what a journey is? Of course I do. What's a journey? It's where you go in the car and you drive on the road. Thank you very much. And what do you need to take with you when you go on a journey? Um, a toy. <laughs> Thank you. And how do you know where you're going? How do you find the way? You put your lights on. Thank you very much. And what do you use to give you directions? A map. Oh, brilliant. Good boy. Gideon, thanks very much for your help. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, some very interesting answers there. So, there we have it. 
And uh, when I've watched those videos back, you know, I can, I can date it instantly. It was December 2020. Obviously, everything with church was online. And Rachel and the kids team were putting out these videos on a Friday and a Sunday. And John would always rope the kids in to, to do his videos for a bit of light relief. But, you know, as, as the children are describing those journeys, I can picture the journeys that they were talking about. Of course, those lockdown journeys where the parks and the playgrounds were closed. And so, as I'm sure many families did, we spent a lot of time in the car driving to remote green areas in Derbyshire, taking picnics. And when Miriam talks about you drink stuff, that's me, every drive-through that I could get to, you know, <laughs> getting another drive-through. So that's what she associated with the journey the endless picnics, because you couldn't buy food anywhere. So we would just picnic, it was one perpetual picnic. And then Gideon just found the journeys very boring, because we were trying to go further afield to find a different field to have a picnic in. And so for him, a toy was necessary. But of course, those are not the, the questions, the answers that I would have given to the question about those particular journeys. And the perspective that they had as children in that context was very different to my perspective on those journeys. And so as we come to this Christmas story and think about Mary and Joseph and their journey, it's the perspectives which is the thing that stands out to me. Even though those children had been on the same journey, in fact, the answers that they gave were very different, which, again, would have been different to my perspective. And so we're just going to look through perhaps the lens of Mary and Joseph, but also see the bigger picture of what was going on in this story. And hopefully that will encourage us in our journeys as well. So we're going to be looking at um, the passage in Luke that we read last week as well, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. And it says that at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. So we just have these six verses to tell us about this journey. And in fact, Luke is the only gospel writer to talk about Mary and Joseph's journey to Bethlehem at all. And yet, as we've explored with Pastor Andy, Luke sets the scene for this journey. The Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, an emperor who saw himself as a divinity. The census, not just a way of counting citizens, but of collecting taxes. Joseph, a descendant of King David, as was Mary, having to take this 200-kilometer, 124-mile journey from Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem in Judea. Mary, his pregnant fiance, who could have societally faced almost stoning death, almost certain stoning by death, had Joseph not had a visitation from an angel. She is now well into her third trimester and is forced to take this journey when all she probably wanted to do was sleep. And so I read these words, which I've read so many times before, and I thought about how this journey might have felt to Joseph and to Mary. And we don't have the answer to that question, but three words popped into my mind as I read this story, perhaps from their perspective. And those words were inconvenience, interruption, and imposition. 
how very inconvenient for a young woman well in her third trimester to have to take a 124-mile journey, most likely almost all on foot, although we do love to have a donkey in our nativities. There's not one specifically mentioned, and this journey would have taken them days. What a huge interruption to this couple trying to get their heads around the crazy events of the past few months Joseph, this humble carpenter, having had his life turned upside down and interrupted by the news of Mary's pregnancy, now faces another interruption in going on this journey. And what a huge imposition this journey was in the context of the bigger imposition of the oppression of the Roman Empire under which they were living. Augustus nearly doubled the size of the Roman Empire in his time. And so the Jewish people paid their taxes and followed Roman laws because all of their local authorities were put in place by Rome. And yet, in this scene of inconvenience, interruption, and imposition, Luke writes that while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. In the town of Bethlehem, the place that fulfilled the words of the prophet Micah, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Israel, out of you will come one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old. And the words of Isaiah in chapter 7, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because while we can see this story through the lens of a weary Mary and an inconvenienced Joseph who found themselves in Bethlehem at the whim of a ruler who saw himself as a god, that is, of course, only one perspective on the story. And as we zoom out, we see the bigger perspective. We see the perspective of a God who had been there since before the beginning of time, who created a people for himself that went on to reject him and always had a plan to bring them back into relationship with him. And uh, with the video that I showed about the children, the thing that I realized is they, they obviously only understood the journeys from their perspective. But there was, of course, another perspective, the perspective of a parent who understood the purpose of the journeys, who planned and orchestrated them and prepared a way in order that as a family, we would find ourselves in a certain place at a certain time. And that's why that video made me think about this story. Because thanks to this story, we see the perspective of a heavenly father who had planned and orchestrated and prepared a way that this family would find themselves not just in a certain place, but in an ordained place at an ordained time in order that we could be with him in any place at any time. So I want us to be encouraged in our own journeys of faith as we look at this story today. Our own journeys of faith, which are full of inconvenience, interruption, and imposition, that if we can see beyond our own perspective, there is another perspective, the perspective of the God who is not only sovereign over everything, but also demonstrates his very deep love for us. And so I've just got three points to hopefully encourage us with this morning. And the first is that God is steadfast in the inconvenience. I love looking up definitions, mainly to make sure that I actually understand the words I'm using. But the definition of inconvenience is the state or fact of being troublesome or difficult with regards to one's personal requirements or comfort. 
And so understanding that to talk about inconvenience regarding Mary and her part in this journey seems like an understatement. As we all well know, she was visited by an angel, this, this teenage, normal teenage girl, and informed that despite being a virgin, she would have a child through the power of the Holy Spirit, which I still find quite scary, and that that child would be the savior of the world. Suddenly, Mary's body was no longer her own, and her personal requirements and comfort fell secondary to the needs of this child growing inside of her. And as if that were not inconvenient enough, she is now required to take this several-day-long journey because of a census. Much was required of Mary, and yet even for each of us, sometimes in our journey of faith, there are those moments of inconvenience, to say the least. It doesn't always go the way that we want it to. So it's important for us to remember that God is steadfast, that he is unwavering even in the inconvenience. And the great thing about this Christmas story is it's a real pivotal moment. It enables us to look back to the Old Testament and look forward into the New Testament and see God's consistency throughout. And so in looking back, I was reminded of the story of the call of Abram in Genesis chapter 12. At 75 years old, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. That's a wonderful promise, but the bit that always gets me is that the Lord said, Go to the land I will show you. So Abram is called to leave everything that is familiar, that is comfortable, that is convenient, to go to a land that God will show him, not to a land God has already shown him. And that was the step of faith. And in doing so, he, of course, stepped into all of that blessing, not on an easy journey, but in Hebrews 11, 8 to 9, it says that by faith, Abraham, when called to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God, even though he did not know where he was going. If you're a control freak like me, that is not an ideal situation. But it was by faith, and he could only have that faith because he trusted in the nature and the character of God. So how do we manage inconvenience in our journey? I think that it's interesting this definition of inconvenience talks about comfort because I think particularly for us as Christians in the West, comfort can be a challenge to us. Sometimes we can get so comfortable that we forget that Jesus never called us to a life of comfort. And in order for Mary and Joseph to do the thing that would be the fulfillment of God's plan for his people, they had to leave their comfort and take a very inconvenient journey. But as we see from their own personal journeys, it was their confidence in God's character that caused them to be obedient. And now even in this inconvenience, they were able to put their confidence in him. And we, of course, have the beauty of seeing what that led to in the birth of Jesus. Pastor Rick Warren has some very challenging words to say about inconvenience. This is what he says. Jesus wants us to count the cost of our commitment because he knows it will demand everything we have. 
In essence, Jesus warns us away from a romantic view of following him. He understands that when we volunteer to go anywhere at any time, our romanticism will wither when our commitment becomes inconvenient or when it collides with the full cost of discipleship. Discipleship means we give up any thought that there will be bits and pieces of our lives that can remain unaffected by our relationship with Jesus. We can't say yes to Jesus and expect to hold on to a portion of our independence. He demands it all. I surrender all. We no longer have the choice to serve only when and where is convenient for us. I almost didn't want to read it because it's, it's challenging, isn't it? But it is true that saying yes to Jesus and to a journey of faith with him means that we give up the say-so on how that journey pans out. And all we can do is put all of our trust in the steadfast, unwavering nature of God. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Or another version says, let us hold unswervingly to the faith we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And that is our steadfast God. And Jesus is, of course, not asking us to do anything that he did not do when he walked this earth. This inconvenient journey for Mary and Joseph was the start of a life for Jesus in which he laid down his convenience, having left the glory and majesty of heaven to take on the form of a helpless baby and go to a more than inconvenient death for you and for me. But there was a joy set before him and there was a promise set before Abraham and there is good set before us for God's glory if we are willing to say yes to the inconveniences in our journey of faith. God is steadfast in the inconvenience. Secondly, God is supreme over the interruptions. An interruption is defined as a stoppage or hindering of an activity for a time. And going back to that passage in Luke, it says that Joseph was a descendant of King David, and so he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. Now, Mary and Joseph were likely to be making preparations in Nazareth for the birth of this baby when this interruption, this census came as an interruption. And as we've already talked about, Joseph's life has already been very greatly interrupted. And this is what Matthew says in chapter 1, verses 18 to 24. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Joseph, an incredible example of faith, demonstrated obedience in the interruptions. Mary's pregnancy and the visit of the angel, and we read that Joseph did what the Lord had commanded him to do. For Mary and Joseph, 
the obedience in the interruption meant that the king of kings and lord of lords would be born in the land of his ancestor David and that God would be shown to, to be faithful to fulfill his promises. Sometimes the interruptions in our journey are the very things that lead us to recognize that God is faithful and you may well have seen that in your own lives. I don't know how you feel about interruptions. Sometimes perhaps they're welcome. Sometimes they are certainly not. But again, as we fast forward to the life and ministry of Jesus, I cannot help but notice that he was constantly interrupted. When he was off to a quiet place, when he wanted to go and pray, when he was on the way to heal someone else, even when he was trying to get some sleep. And yet every time he was interrupted, someone had a transformative encounter with him. Sometimes the interruptions are simply the opportunity to point people to Jesus. And I love this story in, in Acts chapter 3 about Peter and John. It says that one day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people who saw him, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And of course they were, because it was both wonderful and amazing. But this all came around because of an interruption. Peter and John were on their way to do what they always did and go to the temple to pray. And yet in this interruption, a man was healed, and Peter went on to seize the opportunity to preach an incredible sermon, and hundreds more were added to their number that day. Sometimes we can be on the way to do the thing that we think God wants us to do because we have an idea of what that might be. But if we forget that God is in the interruptions and that he is sovereign over them, we might miss the opportunities to actually do what he is calling us to do that day. And it can be big things like this healing, and it can be in really small and simple ways. And uh, I'm going to share a story which doesn't paint me in the best light where, of where I really nearly missed this. And I'm just going to prefix this story by saying that anyone who's spoken to me recently knows I've been feeling a little bit overwhelmed and snowed under. But it was a standard day in the hospital at QMC in Nottingham. And it was one of those days where the time just runs away with you. I mean, it, it always does, but particularly that day. And I had so much still left to do. So I'd come up with a plan, try and take back control. And so I thought I could give myself about seven and a half minutes to head to the canteen, get some food, and then go on and see the rest of the patients I needed to see. And my plan was going really well until I hit the salad bar. And uh, there was a, a woman there in her 80s, and she was right in the section I needed to be, the sweet corn and beetroot section. And she was taking a long time, and I was thinking, come on, you know, my time is ticking, I've got seven and a half minutes. Anyway, eventually she moved to the side so I could access the sweet corn and beetroot, very importantly. But then she started to um, 
you know, she, she looked a bit concerned, and she mentioned something about the coffee machine, and I said, oh, it's over there. And then she said, oh, I don't think I will know how to use that. And honestly, my first thought was just irritation, you know. <laughs> I just thought, for goodness sake, you know, can't she see I've got the lanyard on? I've got this Clearly, she can't see that I've got a seven and a half minute turnaround. And that irritation was met immediately, thank goodness, by some conviction from the Holy Spirit. And it was as if I heard, you've forgotten your assignment. You see, I was so wrapped up in the plan for the day that I thought my assignment was just the list of referrals my consultant had asked me to see that day. I'd forgotten my bigger assignment, the daily assignment that we all have to be the hands and feet of Jesus to every single person we meet. I'd forgotten that in the interruptions, we have the opportunity to either reveal Jesus to people or hide Jesus from people in the way that we conduct ourselves and treat them. So what was I going to do? Well, suitably convicted, I, of course, took her over to the coffee machine. We sorted out her coffee, and then she said she needed a bottle of water. Well, I was in my stride by now. I said, oh, still or sparkling? I'll get it for you. So... <laughs> So I went and got her a still water. I came back with this bottle of water. She was all sorted, and tears filled her eyes. And she was, she was so grateful. You know, she was embarrassingly grateful for my help, most of which, let's be, honest, let's be honest, I did with a horrible attitude. And so we exchanged a few words, and she went on her day. And I just sat down, and I thought, you know, that whole interaction, really, that cost me absolutely nothing. I don't know why that woman is in hospital. It's usually not a good thing to be in hospital if you don't work there. And I don't know what she needed that day, but her heavenly father did. And I almost missed, it wasn't a big moment where I didn't even share the gospel, but I almost missed the opportunity to show her the love of Jesus because I forgot that that is my assignment in the interruptions. And so... What does this mean for us? The other thing, of course, about that, which I think so often finds when we get that nudge from the Holy Spirit and we do the thing is, of course, the rest of my day, not only did I get to see everybody that I needed to see and document everything that I needed to document, I actually found myself with more time at the end of the day to work on the next thing I needed to do. Because if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be given to us. So for Mary and Joseph, the purpose of the interruption was, of course, so that the saviour of the world would be born in the place that fulfilled the scripture. But for us, the interruptions might simply be, as for Peter and John, to ensure that the love of the saviour of the world is demonstrated to all people. So will we welcome the interruptions in our journey, knowing that a supreme God is over them as well? God is supreme over the interruptions. And finally, God is sovereign over the imposition. An imposition is defined as something which is established or brought about by force, an excessive or uncalled for requirement or demand. And undoubtedly, it felt to Mary, to Joseph, and to their fellow citizens that this census was an imposition. Last week, Pastor Andy unpacked for us just the state of the Roman Empire, of who Augustus was, and the oppression of that regime. These people were ruled by an emperor on another continent, and by the time of Jesus, Augustus's influence effectively stretched from Great Britain to India. 
Italy, Greece, Spain, North Africa, Egypt, Asia Minor, and the Near East were all solidly part of the Roman Empire proper. Rome dominated everywhere that bordered on the Mediterranean and beyond. And Israel was kind of considered this backwater province full of cantankerous people that just held on to their religious belief. The Jews had such little autonomy, so they held really tightly to their faith. And of course, knowing what we know about Augustus, undoubtedly, he obviously thought that he was calling this census for the exercising of his own authority. As we remember from last week, Caesar Augustus, Augustus was the self-chosen title of this man, Octavian, considered a brilliant leader and statesman, but Augustus is from the Latin augere, which means to increase, and can be translated as the illustrious one or sublime. And it was a word of religious authority rather than a political one. Yes, he considered himself some kind of divinity, some kind of God. And yet, in the imposition of his census, the king of kings and the lord of lords was about to bring about a new kingdom in the middle of that imposition. Over any imposition that we face in our lives, we need to remind ourselves of the God who sits encircling the earth, who is indeed sovereign over all things. And as we read this journey of Mary and Joseph, I'm reminded of another story of imposition that we find back in the Old Testament in the first chapter of the book of Daniel with another regime. In the third year of the king of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. The king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his royal officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel, Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And as we know, these four young men chose not to defile themselves with the king's choice royal food and wine and asked for 10 days of water and vegetables. And as we jump to verse 15, it says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king, the chief, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. So here we are, the Babylonian Empire this time, and King Nebuchadnezzar, who saw the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of Judah with the capture and deportation of all of its people. These four young men, aristocracy back home from wealthy families, were now flung into this new king's service. And it was imposition after imposition. Their names were changed. There was a new language, there was new customs, new, relig new literature, religion and culture. 
Yet the amazing thing as we read those early chapters of the book of Daniel is that as they remain faithful to the sovereign God, these young men flourished to the glory of God. The circumstances looked terrible, and they were, but they flourished time and again. Yes, even when there is significant and destructive imposition, we can find ourselves in a place of flourishing if we can hold on tightly to the character of the God who is above all things. And Mary and Joseph also found themselves in this wonderful place of flourishing in the place of the imposition as they stayed put right there. They were visited by the shepherds. Their son was celebrated and prophesied over by Simeon and Anna. And later, wise men visited with amazing gifts for them. All these events which Mary treasured in her heart took place in Nazareth, the place of the imposition. And that encourages me that God is sovereign and we can trust him to do amazing things in challenging circumstances. And so I really want to encourage those of you who find yourselves in a situation not of your choosing, where you feel like all of the control has been taken out of your hands, to lift up your eyes and remind yourself of who is ultimately above all things. 1 Chronicles 29.11 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. So as we look at this journey with inconvenience, interruption, and imposition, actually the most important thing is that Jesus came and the scripture was fulfilled. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. Because God is altogether true and righteous and good. And unlike us, he cannot act outside of his character. And so this baby was born and hope came into the world. And Jesus went on to live an incredible life. A life of inconvenience. A life where he was constantly interrupted. A death that was imposed on him. But how amazing that he chose all of that for you and for me. And because of that, our journeys can have a purpose. We are not just wandering aimlessly through this life. We can trust in a God who chose not to love us from a distance, who chose to become Emmanuel, God with us, who chooses time and again to forgive us and to remember our sins no more, to give us freedom, to give us a hope, to give us a future. I just wanted to read these words that describe Jesus in Colossians 1, 15 to 20. He is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God and the firstborn heir of all creation. For in him was created the universe of things, both in the heavenly realm and on the earth, all that is seen and all that is unseen. Every seat of power, realm of government, principality and authority, it all exists through him and for his purpose. He existed before anything was made, and now everything finds its completion in him. He is the head of his body, which is the church. And since he is the beginning and the firstborn heir in resurrection, he is the most exalted one, holding first place in everything. For God is satisfied to have all his fullness dwelling in Christ. And by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. Everything exists through him, 
for his purposes, and everything finds its completion in him. And that is who we put our trust in as we go along this journey. I'm just going to invite the, the band to come up and uh, let's just play a little bit in the background. And I wonder if we could just close our eyes for a second. Um, I want to give a couple of opportunities for response this morning. And the first is maybe for if there's anyone here who doesn't yet know this Jesus, who wouldn't call themselves a Christian, this Jesus who came to earth in human form in the birth of a baby. Well, he grew up, he lived an amazing life, impacting everyone he met, and then he died, taking on the weight of every single generation's wrongdoing, past, present, and future, in order to bring us back into right relationship with a totally holy and pure God. And today, if you don't yet know him, he is inviting you into a life with him, the most incredible journey you could ask for. It def definitely isn't easy. There will be inconvenience, interruption, and imposition along the way, but it is undoubtedly the best decision you will ever make. In knowing Jesus in your life, you can know a peace that passes understanding. You can know an unspeakable joy at times when you shouldn't have joy. And you can know a deep, unconditional love, unlike any other love, from the one who is love himself. So if you are here in the building and you want to say yes to him, I just wonder while our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, if you would raise your hand. I'm going to pray a prayer and uh, I would encourage you to pray it in your heart after me. Jesus, I need you. I'm calling out to you today. I'm tired of doing things my own way. Help me to start doing things your way. I invite you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Fill the emptiness in me with your Holy Spirit and make me complete. Lord, help me to trust you. Help me to love you. Help me to live for you and go on the journey that you have for my life. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done to give me life and a fresh start. It's in your name I pray. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, please don't leave without speaking to someone. And we'd love to pray for you, give you something, and help you to start this journey. But I also want to pray for any of us who are in the building who are already on that journey. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a day, maybe for decades. But you find yourself in a season, perhaps, of inconvenience, of interruption, or of imposition, where it feels like the control is being taken out of your hands. Or maybe, as Amy mentioned earlier, that you just feel that you are alone in this journey. And if there's anyone, again, while our eyes are closed, in the room that finds themselves in that season, we'd love to pray for you. So if you would also raise your hand. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. That over every season, over every circumstance, over every situation, you are sovereign, that we can trust in your nature and your character, even when the circumstances don't look that good. And Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters in the room today who find themselves in those seasons of inconvenience, interruption, imposition. I pray that as we come into this Christmas season, they would know in a new and powerful way what it means for you to have come as Emmanuel, God with us, that your presence with them 
in these seasons would be so powerful and so tangible that they would feel you walking alongside them every day, that they would have people around them to journey with them every single day and that you would draw close to them. And ultimately, I pray that even amongst the situations they find themselves in, Lord, that you would bring them to a place of flourishing for your glory. Lord, we thank you that you are unchanging. We thank you that you are who you say you are. We thank you that you are not a man that you should lie. We thank you that we can trust you to always keep your promises. And I pray that we will hear testimonies of how you've been faithful to your promise in these individuals' lives. In Jesus' name, amen.